and welcome to the TPM Podcast with your host, Margaret Gerard. This is part two of the interview with Ivan Santamaria, where we discuss what TPMs are doing in the industry and what differences are across various companies and so much more. Stay tuned. So yeah, so you moved from a TPM, from being a TPM for nearly 13 years, you've moved to an engineering manager role. This is one of the fascinating reasons why I reached out to you was to understand like somebody who's been a TPM, you've been a senior TPM, you've been a principal TPM, you've been a staff TPM, you've been a senior staff TPM, Mm -hmm. right? You've literally like grown in that world for 13 years and then you kind of switched into the SDM role. Let me start with how is the role different between the two? It's... um... It's a different angle on the same problem, right? You're finishing a you're finishing a product for a user. You want to make the user happy, yeah, right. There is a very different set of skills that yeah. you need to do to be able to do dev manager, yeah. And what uh, are they? Well, you're gonna write code. Right? So the same way that no one should underestimate how hard it is to produce a proper spec or a schedule or not, yeah. right? Should not underestimate how hard it is to produce a proper design. But yeah. will scale will not crash in your face. Yeah. Right. We'll tolerate like hundreds of millions of users, which is like my Redundancy, case. Redundancy, right? Designing for failure, all of that. Right? All the other stuff, how we yeah. deploy, how we patch, yeah. how we manage, yeah. how we monitor, all the yeah. stuff, right? So it, it's kind of like it is an art on itself. Yeah. Right? But, you know, even as a TPM, I never stopped writing code. My education, actually, I, I have undergrad in computer science. I have a master's degree in computer science. I have always written code my yeah, whole life. Yeah. As a PM, I wrote samples, right? And I always had my samples being part of the test suite, right? So the documentation will suck the samples out of the source code to put on a wiki, and those compile with the rest of the build. So when you run yeah. your test, you break my sample, you break your build, Right. So I have always been someone that want to have a very integrated experience. I, yeah. And one of the things about how technic, how much technical work you do as a TPM is that there are certain things that come with the job, right? So you go out and you do the, all the schedules, integration, APIs, and whatnot. But you also get stuff by invitation. And one constant thing of my career is several of my PM jobs were look a lot like architect jobs, right? And this is like a natural transition for me. I want to be a little bit more hands-on. You also have to wait what the differences are on different companies. When you are a dev lead or a dev manager on Microsoft, there's a certain amount of coding and hands-on work that you want to do. And Google is different. Facebook is different. And Amazon is different. Everywhere is different, right? So you also have, is the TPM position right for me on Facebook or is the engineering manager position better? And for me, it was the engineering manager. I look at the list of things that bring me happy. Yeah. And that's it, right? So the, my transition is actually... A natural uh, transition. A natural transition, right? The reason I got promoted at Google was actually because of competitive benchmarking that I did for Google Cloud, right? So I can't really go into... Details, know, yeah. The details, but it, it was really a lot of figuring out whether or not we're competitive and why not yeah. in like some complicated scenarios. You're not going to find uh, really a performance bug on any one component written by a Google developer. They're outstanding, right? So what you really find is you need to bring a new scenario. So I use what I know as a TPM to reach out to the sales team and look yeah. at into the cases we're losing. And then I'll create a synthetic benchmark that represent the thing we're not competitive. Yeah. We'll bring that back and analyze then I can go talk to the developer that wrote the feature and say, hey, here's the angle you didn't see. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, now they go out and we collaborate on the fix. Right. Yeah. But I need to go and figure out a way to add value. And in that place, that is how I brought new information into the table and help people make better decisions. That's what they needed. They needed this information on how the users are actually using the product to make the product better. So this is what I went out to go dig. Right. So I, I don't, I don't get stuck to the definition. And the more senior you are, the more you define what your job is. Really. No, I totally agree with that. So I met up with one of my friends recently uh, who I'd worked with. He's a, he was an ex, he's an ex colleague of mine uh, from a previous company. And he was like, he was looking uh, for opportunities. And I was like, with his skill set and knowing how he works, I was like, we'll have to, we'll create a job for you. Tell me what you want. Tell me what's the role you want. And we will find a team where you would be a good fit and we'll create a role for you. And I think. That's what happens as you move up and as you have a lot of capabilities. I feel you're like a Swiss Army knife. You can do a lot of things, but you're really maybe good at one or two things. And we want you to really kind of bring you in to fix or do those two, three things. So that's interesting. Do you see the engineering manager role also, you know, you have people reporting to you. Yeah. So that's also an added aspect which the TPMs don't generally have, right? Because... Most of the TPMs are individual contributors or they might have a group of TPMs, but now you have, you have to take care of the personal aspects of a team, right? The morale, hiring, firing, all those kind of things as well. Yeah, I do. And, and actually, I was a, I was a TPM lead. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I had, so a, you had people I had, reporting to you? Yes. I had a team of five TPMs at some point. I like people. You know, it's like if yeah. you should not go in management if you don't like people. Let, yeah. me, let me tell you that. Like, don't do it. They come with their complexities and yeah. whatnot, and, and I like talking to them. I like understanding their motivations and suggesting things that they can do better. It comes with a cost as well. I mean, you have to objectively measure how they're doing against their expectations. And if yeah. they're not doing well, you kind of have to work out why. And sometimes it's just like, you got to let them go. Yeah. So this is part of the life of, of a manager. Yeah. Also part of a life of a manager is something TPMs do, which is you need to let go certain things. You might know exactly what the right thing is, or you might believe that you could do better yourself on something, or you might believe you have better information. But if someone is convinced, you got to give them like some role to run and, yeah. and maybe they're right and you're wrong. And you, there's some, you need to be humble about that. And maybe you're right and they learn a lesson. Yeah. And you have to be mature enough and a decent enough person to go out and say, hey, now I have an ally that understand my angle, right? As opposed to go out and say, I don't. You're wrong. Yeah. Right? So, so there's this aspect of growing people and growing with people. They also bring like all sorts of different perspectives that I really enjoy. If you ask me if I enjoy the process of writing the thing, no, I don't. I think is a miserable experience. I like feel obligation of doing a good job representing what the people on my team did. And I torture myself for an extended period of time to make sure that I got it right. One of the things about the review where I work now is the managers really help each other to make sure that we were doing it right. Right. So you, you bring in other people to help you help me yeah. make sure that I am you know, setting the expectations correctly and judging the outcomes correctly against the expectation, which it's a lot of work, but I don't think, I don't, I don't think I can do any better than this, right? Yeah. And so where do you see the line of the dev manager and the TPM kind of overlap? 
and kind of diverge. Where, where's the overlap? There is definitely an overlap, right? Because I've seen TPMs kind of do the dev manager work a little bit. Dev managers, you know, do some work. What's the line? Do you think there's a uh, line? Yes, there is a line. And it's kind of like not every TPM can or should or would like to do uh, some of the dev lead or dev manager or, or any sort of like dev work, right? So going back to something you mentioned in the beginning, is like not everybody needs to be able to blur that line. You can add a ton of value by never coming even close to this. The line is, I own the quality of this code. I own the quality of the design, right? It's on me. It's on the dev manager. Absolutely. Yes. It's yes. on the dev work. Nobody uh, else. Right? Yeah. I used to have discussions when you have QA, yeah. right? And then one of the questions I used to ask is, can you point a bug that a QA person ever wrote? Show me a product that has a bug that was put there by the QA person. Yeah. So that's on the dev, right? The, the objectively, someone sits down, writes the code, and puts the stuff in on the source control, and yeah. either releases a service as a, as a product, yeah. or on a device, an app, or whatnot. Yeah. That is on me, right? That's where the buck ends. So we, we need to make sure that, one, I have the right people allocated here, yeah. right? The, the team is properly staffed. They understand their mission. We have a clean design. Like, we can actually do a good job. We have the right metrics. But we actually write good code, and, and, and that goes in. And it should satisfy, the, the, where this blends a bit is, it should satisfy some customer. And it should be coming out in a timely fashion. And it should have like some level of the correct quality, right? Now I can partner with the TPM to give me insight on how things are going. How things are going. And maybe even help me on what are my upstream dependencies that might be having changes that I'm not aware, tell me that I need to prepare for some changes on an API or other service or yeah. whatnot, right? This network of communication, which is kind of like the great channels of communication in any organization, typically you go find a lot of TPMs that know how to navigate this stuff, yeah. right? As a dev manager, I have to like keep looking at what I'm doing here. Uh, I don't necessarily have the time to do the legwork on that stuff. Again, going back on the original job, remember it was like, oh, the dev managers are going to walk around and figure out the, how the yeah. teams connect. This is where you blur the lines quite a lot. But where the line is very clear is I'm writing the code, right? And the code goes out. Yeah, when I just, I'm trying to digest what you said. And it's like the dev manager is looking at the code, the architecture, the design, and looking almost like looking down while the TPM is looking more on a fan out approach of all the connections of to the team, all the things the team needs to do, be aware of. And in a sense, right, it's a very, it's a partnership which needs to kind of complement each other. It is it only really works if it's a partnership. And the same way that the TPM has this blur line that they can come closer to help with the design, yeah. the dev manager can also walk the line and help with communication and engaging and whatnot, right? So there are certain partners that react better for the fact that the dev manager goes there, right? So the TPM has to be aware enough to say, hey, you should show up with me and yeah, you do, yeah. I do the slides you present, yeah. right? So that might be a simple yeah. trick. So yeah. there is a line that's clear, but there's this blurred space where it's collaboration, right? And you figure yeah. out what works. Everybody should be looking into making the customers happy, delivering something that solves the actual problem, that to make things better, right? This is everybody's job. But, you know, on the tasks, like one writes code, the other writes different artifacts. That one is kind of like somewhat most of the time clear. That's, that's a good uh, summary. You started as a, as a TPM and you've 
grown in several levels. How do you differentiate how senior a person is and how do you level a person? Every organization will, will have like uh, some sort of career ladder. And this is like a recurrent team. So tell me if I'm running out of time here. But No, the, no, you're not running. We uh, never run out of time. Ah, cool. <laughs> excellent. Uh, so here's the thing with, with this. Every organization will have a career ladder. Yep. And you go look at the career ladder. Some of them are super specific. You do this type of stuff, you're this level. Yeah. Right? You have this particular scope, this other level. So it goes the complexity of tasks, goes the size, goes stuff like that. I actually think that, that there are uh, four things that, that really will set your level and actually will get you promoted. So here's Yvonne's secret to getting promoted in an organization. The, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's just four things. I never found a fifth one. It's just four. So the first thing is really the one we talked about the most. Are you ready to do the job and do you own a particular scope? Some organizations will throw you on the deep end and say, oh, you own everything. Go figure out what you can handle and you build your job backwards from everything into manageable scope. Other organizations will say, take this little thing, make it succeed, they'll give you a bigger thing. But it really goes into your readiness to take on a particular scope and complexity of work. Now, let me give you the other stuff that gets you promoted. The first thing is, do we have budget to pay? And this is like, if you never had to deal with this, good for you. But in some companies, most of the large tech companies, that's really not a problem. But in a lot of places, it's like you get promotion in name only. It's like you get more work, but not more money. That's not a promotion, right? You just got sucked into more work, okay? So promotions are like, do we have money to pay for reals? Uh, So number one. Number two, do we have the business need to have you on the next level. A lot of picking jobs for career projection is, do we really need someone on this level? And companies and leaders on those companies will find a way to organize you know, their people on the correspondent levels. You, you probably saw this with people saying, oh, I know I'm going to have this as principal. I need a bunch of seniors, people and whatnot. Yeah. So the sizing of the, oh, I need the director. Sometimes you don't have the person for this. You just know this is the seniority you need and you design the stuff and then you fill it up, right? So you need to know that there's a business need for that, right? You're doing sustaining engineering on a V12 project. There's a ceiling for that, right? So do I have money to pay you? Do we have the business need to have you doing the next level, right? The third thing is what we started with. Are you ready? Can you do the next level job? And some companies do, yes, we're going to make a bet. Some companies do trailing promotions. They say, no, 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 no. You need to work on the next level for a while. Then we're going to recognize that with some money. Those are the things that people talk about the most, right? It's like money, need, readiness. Then I have the fourth one that it becomes more and more important as you become more senior, which is trust. And trust is a very interesting one. I'm not talking about, hey, I trust you're going to do an honest job. You'll not be hired if people didn't trust you. But it's what kind of problem or size of problem I trust you to take on and make things better, not worse, right? The more senior you are, the more trust overrides other things. It overrides even like if you know the domain or not, right? Sometimes you, you look up and, and you look at someone got promoted to vice president and you say, why exactly? I mean, I could like find out five other people that are more qualified. Yeah. And then you go figure out and you discover that that one person is the person that can actually work with the other five, right? So we trust that that person will be able to make this organization 
as a whole do better, right? We don't necessarily trust the opinionated people that might be better at knowing what to do, right? So those for me are the four secrets of being promoted. Like, do I have the money to pay you? Do I have the need to pay you? Or I can get the job done cheaper. Are you ready to do the job? Either because I believe you can do it or because you already proved you can do it. And do I trust you to take on this scope and do something good about it? That for me is the secret. And some variations of this will show up on the ladder and people will slot you when you get hired. They say, well, you know, given what this person did so far, I trust them to tackle this type of problem. We did an interview, we probe, and we think it fits on whatever, you know, principal or senior or E6 or senior staff, or they will put you there. That basically is my, uh, how I abstracted away the differences is down to this. So how do you build trust? Building trust is, a, is an amazing it's a secret, skill, right? It? It's, a, it's a real secret. It's not really, right? Okay, I can turn back to you and say, how do you build trust? And if we write this down on a white piece of paper, okay, and say, tell me five things you do to build trust. And yeah. we compare at the end as a blind exercise. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to overlap on at least three. Okay. I'll start with one which comes to my mind is be consistent in fixing problems or showing the right results your leadership is looking for. If you can consistently deliver on a variety of different problems and solutions or a variety of different problems the organization wants to fix, and you can consistently deliver on that, that's number one. I think having good ethics in general of making the right calls, even if they're difficult calls or having difficult conversations, I think that's Really, really key. I think those are the two main things that come to my mind. I'll, I'll add something like do what you say. Yeah. Right? It's part of being consistent, but it's also being in part of being predictable. Yeah. Right? So you say the right things and then you do the right things as you said you would. If something changes, you keep people abreast of what changed and yeah. you communicate well. This develops trust. You are a known quantity now. Yeah. Right? So, okay, this person will take this type of problem, consistently do it right. And I'll know when something changes, I know they'll be able to handle this. So I could stop here and say, you do this, you're good, right? The other thing is uh, in certain organizations, you want results, Yeah. right? So you actually got the results based on how you're measured, but you need to start knowing how you're measured. But if you deliver those things according to yeah. what your organization expects of you, that also develops trust. You can go get results. You get success, right? You can create success for the organization, doing the right things, being consistently doing those things. There's really no secret in trust. Yeah. What there is in trust is there's no instantaneous trust. The way I usually think about trust is it's like a bank account that you can go deposit, but you can only deposit a quarter at a time, right? Yeah. So you have your little... You're building it. Yeah. To build it is this low grind Right, you go adding and adding and adding and adding. To lose it is instantaneous. A instantaneous. Like, <laughs> poof, it evaporates, right? Yeah. So this is the trick with trust, right? We, we kind of like instinctively know uh, how to build the thing. But it's like, yeah, you build it, right? And then you can lose it on a snap. I also think the more I think about it, I also think that you have to build trust with various parties within the organization. Yes. It's just not one leader. 
you are aligned to or you report into a lot of leaders a lot of co-workers a lot of stakeholders a lot of sponsors a lot of stakeholders or whatever you might call it literally everybody from your developers to the senior leadership right? that reflects a more democratic workplace yeah right so when you say this i kind of like oh i know what kind of work environment you have but there are places where you're going to work right yeah. that you you kind of like the owner is there okay so so one of the advantages of having worked on like small businesses before yeah. there are certain things that are predefined i have this uh, joke that i tell and i'm going to make a risk of telling a joke but it's you want to pick the next manager for your branch right and this the small company they yeah. only have yeah. one manager they need to pick one manager and they decide to do a test they give like a thousand bucks for each and they come back a month later the first manager say, hey, you know, I invested on a bunch of stuff. I have, here's 500 bucks back, but we're better off. The second say, I saved it. Here's a thousand. Yeah. And the third one comes back and say, I turned that into five grand, yeah. right? Which one gets the, the manager position? Depends on the value of the organization. Yeah, it's a small company. It's the son of the owner. <laughs> right? So we, we in tech, we kind of have this thing that we're very democratic and whatnot, yeah. but yeah. you know, not everybody works in that type of space and you yeah. should know where you are. Yeah. Right? So so you know who to invest to to get trust from. And if you're not the son of the owner, I'm sorry, but you're not getting the manager the manager position. <laughs> it's interesting uh that you say that see are you are you uh, indirectly saying that you gotta pick a leader within the organization? Not necessarily. But uh I wanna say something. You can make a leader. The person that actually makes the leader is the first follower. A leader by itself is just a lunatic, right? A, a leader only is a leader when someone follows. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So there is a skill that is the ability to follow someone. Yes. That is getting rarer and rarer, right? It's, it's, it's more and more difficult to find someone to say, oh, that sounds like a good vision. Let me contribute. This ability to actually get together and help with something, even though it might not be perfect, is also something that builds trust. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to pick a leader. You can be the leader. But if you are the leader, make sure you have a following. Otherwise, you really just the you're lunatic. A quack. Yeah. yeah, you're a quack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I think the final and the last question is, uh, what kind of advice would you give people who are starting their career as a TPM? Send me five dollars. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll give the bank account. Yes. Um, you know, we talked about happiness, right? And and that goes for everybody, starting or not starting. Like, figure out the things that make you happy. But if you're starting your career, one of the things you don't know is you have not gone through enough experiences to actually try different things that might make you happy or not happy, right? So try to experience the profession, try to experience different types of jobs, different yeah. companies, right? Leave a little. Enjoy the fact that uh, we're in a boom in tech. Yeah. There's like thousands of companies and all of them have different yes. jobs. Like yes. You can find something that aligns with your vision for the yeah. planet. But you can do a lot of things. You can work with art, creative types. You can work with like enterprise. You can work with small businesses. They are all different. And when you build this kind of like... Married experience. Yeah, the experience, right? So it, there's this other thing someone told me once that, you know, how do you gain where experience comes from? You say like experience comes out of, you know, bad decisions, right? <laughs> so you have a lot of bad decisions, you gain experience. 
go on a situation where you can actually make decisions. Some of them will be good, some of them will not yeah. be as good, and you're exposed for different types and biases and cultural views and like angles and you know motivations and mission statements and whatnot. Right? So try it out. And if you look at my resume, you see that I did exactly that, right? So I'm not saying anything that's not something I've done myself. Yeah. I'm I'm reflecting on your words and I think What's interesting is I'm, I'm kind of the same way. So I started out my career. My first job was working at Oracle in the sales team, right? I finished my engineering okay. right? and that's my first gig. I worked there for three years. That's a, enough of a time, right? Yeah. And then I got into writing code. Then I got into like an SDED role. Then, so I think that is really what kind of makes you. Yeah. You've gone through, you tried out like, five or six different types of roles. You try different companies. Here's a, I like concrete examples, right? So since you work in sales, this might, uh, this might be something that gives you like memories, right? So when I was on Google Cloud, right? Yeah. And I had this impossible mission to tell developers that do an excellent job yeah. how to make it better. Yeah. The way I went at value is I reach out to the sales team to figure out the deals we're losing. Yeah. Right? So, I gain access to the database, of, yeah, right? Yeah. So I know we have leads. We know yeah. that the leads get the pipeline. an engagement, okay? So I'll go and I jump in and I create a taxonomy of engagement types with the sales force, yeah. right? So now we have like groups and of offerings, biotech or oil or industries, whatever, yeah. industries. And I know how I score against each one of those. And I start building like reference architectures for those things that turn into my benchmark, Right. So the experience I had before getting to Google, knowing the sales has this, yeah, the other people around me didn't. So now I have a trick up my sleeve. I have a skill that came out of life experiences that other people around me didn't have. It's not like, like very few other TPMs who have a combination yes. of, you know, having done some perf work, having done some sales on my own company and knowing how sales work. Yeah. I, I even know that what type of salesperson I am. Yeah. I'm a farmer. So sales is like hunters and farmers. I'm not a hunter. I'm a farmer. You give me a relationship, I build it greatly. Yeah. If you tell me to make a cold call, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Right? So this knowledge, even the term knowledge is not something common. Unless you did the job or you try something different, you don't have this. I would not have found what I consider probably like the happiest job I had in, the, in many years that was doing competitive benchmarking. Yeah, I, I also think as a TPM, I always look back and think, hey, that thing I did five years ago or seven years ago is helping me now. It's exactly the same example yes. which you gave, right? That varied experience really kind of comes to fruit. Like things I did back then, I was like, you know, five years into my career, or six years into my career, I was like, why the heck did I do sales, right? Why did I get into that? But if you look at it, Tria, I've, just like what you said, exactly like what you said, I know the things I have pulled out of that, that bag of hat tricks I had or that learning I had to make my job better or do something unique or bring a perspective which other people don't have, just like what the example you mentioned. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, very, um, it's very telling that I'm just realizing that fact. It's an unbelievable journey, really. It is. And, and like, I want to I wanna, I wanna leave, like, uh, a message to the people listening to this that are starting their careers. And they might be starting their careers, like, middle age or whatever. 
how your life experiences count. Yeah. Right. So when you go be a WIS developers, algorithms and code, yeah. but you're going to work on TPM, your life experiences, all of them count. Be that you're in the army, be that you run like a tire shop or a donut shop, like all yeah. the stuff. If you are open and willing to learn your environment and adjust what you learn, the lessons you learn to something new, that is a key advantage, is a competitive advantage to do well on this particular profession. And, and I love this profession because if you are willing to do this, you have a really good chance of doing well on it. Absolutely. It's been amazing, amazing talking to you. Do you have anything to add? This was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, this is a, a tremendous amount of insight, fun, and it's also like enlightening. That's how I look at our conversation. It was <laughs> definitely fun. And uh, extremely enlightening because you made me realize a lot of things which I probably knew, but putting into words and putting it into thoughts with with the amazing experience you've had, it's been a incredible, uh, incredible uh, conversation. Thank you, and, thank and you so much. Thank you, thank you for the opportunity. Hi, folks. I hope you really enjoyed that. This is the end of the interview with Ivan Santa Maria. I'm so happy and so pleased that he spent his time talking to all of us. Stay tuned for the next episode with me, your host, Mario Gerard. The next one I'm planning to do is on the Scaled Agile framework. We're just preparing the flow of the podcast for that. So stay tuned. Bye-bye.